Alright, so uh, we are beginning the 19th and final letter um, on page 331 in the Rabbi Elias' version. So, uh, first of all, Wizza Naftali, he walked out. He had a fist last week at the Baby Shamshin, so that was, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, he's a, he's a, ain't a girl, he's a. Okay, so, um, so the, the, the 19th letter is discussing the, the title that he gives Rabbi Elias, I think, wrote these titles, it's called The Essays. So it's really the, the safest finish. He said what he had to say. And now he's discussing uh, a project that he's working on. So uh, we spoke about this history in the beginning, and it's going to be very clear from, uh, from this essay, just to kind of repeat it briefly, is that um, Rav Hirsch originally had written a sefer, uh, which was to be called a chayrev, or horeb in English. Um, chayrev is, of course... Um, Har Sinai is Har Chayrev, and it's this mountain where Kaisal received the Tyra, the mitzvah of the Tyra. And it was, this, it was a kind of Sefer HaChinuch, right, where it was, you know, discussing first, you know, the Chinuch first details, you know, says the details of the mitzvah, then the Shrashe mitzvah, then like the reason of the mitzvah. But uh, over here it was focusing more like the time of mitzvah, or philosophy about how to understand the mitzvah. So it's not divided according to Parshish or the Rambam's order even. It's divided according to Rav Hirsch's system that we discussed um, in the 13th letter or 14th letter, right? His Eidus, Tyrus, Mitzvahs, Chukim, Mishpatim, Avaida, right? This is again Rav Hirsch's whole hashkafa, his whole perspective on the mitzvahs and the Tyra and Klai Yisrael. And that was going to be Chayrev. Uh, his plan was, as he'll write over here, was to write also a second one, a second book which is going to be called Myria. Which was Maria is of course the mountain where Klai Yisrael. That's the you know the Arkadis Yitzchak. That's the the Beis Hamikdash, and that was going to be more like the uh, Hashkafa philosophy of Klai Yisrael of the Torah, and that was going to be Maria. He never ends up writing Maria, and maybe we'll discuss a little bit later why, or no one knows why, but we'll try to see if we can figure out why. Um, but he brings Chayrev to a publisher, a non-Jewish publisher, and no one wanted to publish it. It was a big book. And it was a risk, it was a big uh, financial risk to risk uh, from some young 20-year-old uh, rabbi from Germany that no one's ever heard of, you know, to print this book. And the suggestion that he gave him was, why don't you write a small little contrast, publish that, let's see how it sells, and then if you're a well-known author, then I'll print Chayr. And so that's why he wrote the 19 letters. So the 19 letters was really an introduction to what was going to be a two-part book, Chayrev and Maria. And that's what this 19th letter basically says. Um, it's just, you know, he never wrote Maria, but it's, you can imagine, you know, three uh, short letters where he says the whole Chayrev in like a summary. You can imagine Maria, you know, what, what kind of safer it would have been. He never wrote it, and uh, whatever the reason why. So, uh, you know, Maisi ends up putting out the 19 letters. It's very popular. And, of course, Chayrev comes out afterwards. So now he's going to basically kind of explain that. Okay, and the letter is written as if Binyamin, who the, the person he's writing the letters to, is getting married now. So that's the, uh, that's the you know, the, the uh, You are prevailed, my dear Binyamin, on the day on which you are consecrating a wife for yourself to establish with her a home in Yisrael. I'm offering you the one gift which you requested, the granting of your long and often expressed wish. In other words, you know, we don't, you know besides for the first fake letter that Binyamin wrote, we don't have any back and forth, really. You know, in some of the letters, you know, Rav Hirsch, Naftali is writing as if, you know, there was a response, but there hasn't really been a response. He's saying, oh, you know, you wrote me a bunch of times. If Hashem will give me understanding and good health, I intend to lay upon the altar of my people the only offering which is, in my, which, is it, which it is in my limited power to present. In other words, apparently you're saying, yes, based on what I gave you, these are short uh, outlines of, of my ideas. You want me to write them much longer. You want me to present it uh, in full. You know what? I'm going to work on it. As a wedding present to you, I'm going to work on it. And again, this letter is, is so packed with humility 
and it's just a very, very important thing to remember. And anyone, anyone that's so sure of himself, you know, we discussed last week the idea of like a free expression of ideas, competing ideas could be a very valuable thing, right? Because uh, ultimately it will come to the truth. Let the, even the bad ideas, let them foster so that they can be undermined. Yes, there's some short-term loss, but in the long term, right, he says amazingly that, you know, had they not banned philosophy after the murder of Uchim, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be where we would be at this point, right? We would have already dealt with all the issues, you know, instead of uh, putting it, you know, shrugging it under the rug, let's deal with things out in the open. But again, he's writing here with such humility. Um, and let's see, let's see what he says. I do not imagine that those ideas which I communicated to you, and which I love and treasure in my innermost heart, will necessarily be accepted as the truth by everyone just because you accepted them as the truth with such warm enthusiasm. In other words, I don't know, you found these ideas, right? Ivan Lapiansky has this wonderful series called uh, Damasha Toshev. Right, it's a series about, you know, uh, it goes through Hashkafas of Yiddishkeit, Yisaitis, Science, all the different, you know, it's a wonderful series I highly recommend. And, you know, one of the things he talks about in, this, in, the, int- in the introduction episode is that they have something being the Siyashven Alalev, right? Tyra is not like, uh, you know, it's not like Hashem didn't hand down, you know, a book with, with, with uh, everything that's ever necessary for it, right? We have Tyra Shabbat Tyra Shabbat Sav, and there's different perspectives, different ways of approaching things, right? Different, and certain things, you know, it has to be the Siyashven Alalev. You know, one person is, gets very inspired by, you know, an emotional approach to Yiddishkeit, the other one by more intellectual, right? And there's different things that work. He's saying, just because you found this idea, you know, my, 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 my thoughts about Yiddishkeit, well, it doesn't mean everyone else will. Nor can I, indeed, presume them to be the pure gold of absolute truth. Because I'm, not, I'm not saying that I have a monopoly on truth and my mahalach is the only mahalach. I know my own limitations and the character of our age too well to be enticed by such hopes. Right? I know that people are going to, haters are going to hate, and I know that, uh, you know, myself, I'm, I'm limitations, I'm a human being, I'm a young human being, to be, to be sure. But I believe that in a time of such profound significance, and for a cause which is to us the most sacred, right, this is, uh, these are crazy times, right, it is every man's duty openly and honestly to express what he sees as the truth. It is an obligation, right, yes, maybe there are times when there's enough books being published out there, there's enough podcasts being published, you don't have to throw your own in there, you're going to come up with your mahalak, right? There's enough out there, you know. But at a time when, you know, when, when the truth is under attack and there's so much going on, you know, I feel it's my responsibility to speak up. Indeed, my friend, I would consider my work amply rewarded if I succeeded only in demonstrating that the subject has not yet been thoroughly investigated in all its aspects and that there is perhaps a way that leads to entirely different conclusions, another point of view. In other words, if all I'm doing is getting you to think that maybe what, the way you've been viewing Yiddishkeit is all wrong, that's also good. You may not come to my conclusion, but I'm giving you enough food for thought that, you know, okay, there's something else, let me investigate. Maybe your conclusion will be different, but at least I'm getting you to think and challenge at the same dry, removed from life, black and white version of Yiddishkeit that's been practiced, both from the reform side and from the, you know, from the traditionalist side, maybe that's no good. Perhaps, which might put everything in a different light from the one not taken for granted. If I succeed only in arresting just one hand that has been raised too rashly, for the self-appointed task of tearing down and rebuilding it, right? Even if one reformed Jew who sat there and decided to destroy Yiddishkeit because he didn't understand it, then he thought he knew the truth, right? And thus caused this owner to reconsider. If I made no other contribution to the ultimate goal, which I described to you, than paving the way for someone else, more talented, better equipped, brighter and stronger, who would present a much truer, loftier, more luminous and more vile picture of Judaism, right? In other words, I'm here, I'm just laying the groundwork, right? And that's, by the way, in general, just something so consistent with the verse. That we're not, we're not here at the end goal, right? It's, it's a process through history and ideas have to, right? In my mind, I can just get you to rethink things. I get one person to rethink. And you know what? Someone else is going to read Rav Hirsch and he's going to say, you know what? Let me be Marachan. Even Rav Hirsch himself, right? So Rav Hirsch credits his Rebbe. We'll, t- we'll see in a second. This Chacham Isaac Bernays, right? 
you know, he kind of started these ideas, you know, of Tyrim Derecheres and his Ashkafa, but then Hirsch takes it even further, right? And then, you know, it keeps on getting carried out more and more, and, you know, so it's the same idea, right? You see this in, in uh, right? You see this cer- certain people are successful in reaching the masses, but they're coming from their Abbey who weren't as successful because, you know, I Disney need to remain. Someone else needs to come and take it and, and carry it on, right? So that my own feeble attempts would be only pitied and forgotten. But I'd be happy if, you know, in 200 years, someone's going to say, oh, the, the thing which Ta'ilam realizes, it had its roots in Rav Hirsch. Oh, that would be, that would, that would be, you know? You suggest that it was my diffidence that caused me to delay this task for so long, since the necessity for it must surely have long occupied me. I think I'm like kind of flaky, I'm all modest, right? Like that's why I didn't, uh, I didn't work on this until now. I've indeed felt the need for such a work for a long time, as proven to you by the accompanying sheaf of essays about Yisrael and his duties. In other words, after all, Rav Hirsch isn't just coming out of nowhere, right? He's young, but he's clearly thought this through. And the ideas that he writes in 19 letters is consistent throughout his life. All right, there are some that I want to see. Maybe he changed a little in the Kudu here. But this is a very, very well thought out philosophy, right? It's a very systematic and well thought out process, which is an incredible thing, right? It's not, you know, most times if a guy, some fry guy meets you in the street, you know, so you'll be like, uh, ask you a question. You'll come for some answer that you heard from your, from your fifth grade Rebbe or some, you know, some schmooze, whatever. It's systematic over here. And this is why so many people love Rav Hirsch, is, this, is exactly this idea, the systematic nature of it. And the consistency literally throughout the entire Tyra. That's what people love. He says, you're right, I, you know, I felt the need, or rather only about his duties, right? Words, I felt the need for such a work for a long time, right? Um, the accompanying sheaf of essays about Yisrael and its duties, or rather only about his duties. In other words, he basically sent him a copy of Chayrev, and he said, I just sent you a copy of of essays, he calls the Chayr of essays, about Yisrael, which is like the Hashkafa, the Maria Sefer, and its duties, which is Chayr of. Or rather, only about its duties. In other words, that's what I finished already, right? Because again, he already wrote, wrote Chayr before 19 letters. So in other words, I sent you Chayr of. You see, I've been thinking about this for a long time, right? The essays about Yisrael itself, Maria, exist as yet only in outline, and that only in my mind. In other words, I didn't, I didn't write it yet, I'm working on it. Yes, I have indeed been different, and I still am, not for myself, whoever, but on account of the cause which I try to represent. In other words, I've been nervous about publishing it for a different reason which he's about to say. So in other words, he sent to Maria, Maria, I didn't write yet, it's just an outline, I'm Metzeshem, I'm going to write it, and I'm going to, I'm going to send it to you. Now, it's just interesting why he didn't write it. Um, why didn't he write it? A lot of different people, you know, came up with different understandings. I think the one that I saw, which makes the most sense to me, is that um, what happened was someone started writing down his Chumash and then he worked on them and published them, right? This was Pirish on Chumash, which is, he wrote, but it was based on the shiurim which he gave over years in his community. And I, my sense is that most of what would have been included in Maria was Be'esem included in the Pirish on Chumash. Like, like, obviously, it's a different style. When you're writing it as a Pirish on Chumash, it's different than writing it as a systematic, you know, philosophy book. But, uh, you know, it's kind of the information is out there between the, the collected writings, which is the essays and everything. Maybe he got it in there. I don't know. You know, like maybe he's, uh, most of it's included. I'm not sure. Some want to say he realized that philosophy books are there. It's going to be misunderstood just like the Marina Buchim. And then, I don't know. It seems that that's more likely is that the information is out there. That we could probably, I think someone, one of his grandchildren wrote a book called Maria and tried to like, you know, kind of write it in the style how Reverse would have written it. Okay. And so why was he so, was so different? Why was he so nervous to publish it? He says, in an age where opposites confront each other, right? Reform, traditional, right? And truth is on neither side, right? Because again, this is where he first gets in trouble, right? In his own time. 
You know, there were a lot of traditional, you know, the big fight that he has with Rav Bamberger, right, was inspired by some of the people that, like, in Frankfurt, he came to Frankfurt, right? I was listening recently to a podcast on Svarm Chatter. So uh, there's this guy, his name is um, uh, Hellman. He has a Kail in Eretz Yisrael. I think it's, I forgot what it's called, um, it's a very interesting kail. They, they work on like a lot of the svarim from Ashkenaz. You know, like the chreinim. And I think from Ashkenaz, that's like the, that's one of the, the projects that they work on. And, uh, and they reprint them. So he was, I think he, descendant of Rebamberger or not, or maybe he just, uh, I don't know, they printed a lot of Rebamberger svarim. And, uh, and he says, you know, there were 10 families that invited Rav Hirsch. There were hundreds from families in Frankfurt still. 10 families that invited him. There were some very old Cheshavara people still living in Frankfurt. And for them, they see this young Rav Hirsch coming in there and he wants to break away from the community. Like, they still wanted to stay within the community. They wanted to stay, okay, we're together with reform. And that's when they wrote to Rav Bamberger, who was the Paisa Kadar over there in Germany. And there was this big machlaikis, you know, and this big discussion about... In other words, they were still, they were still you know... Uh, and, and Rav Hirsch, you know, it was like people were upset at him. The old school people, like, you know, that you're, you're making concessions and that you're attacking the right wing, you know. You know something? Sometimes it's like, yeah, they got things wrong. And, uh, and uh, you know, we like to, our knee-jerk reaction is to defend everything that we do as 100% right. But we have to be willing to realize that maybe, uh, you know, we could change. Again, not to accept the premises and the, and the arguments of reform. But, uh, yeah, things do need to improve. Okay. He says, I'm a man who belongs to no party who has only the cause at heart and serves it alone, right? I just, I just, uh, the tire, right? Cannot expect agreement from any side, right? I can't, I'm going to sit there and put something else. Everyone's going to be mad at me. Unless he were the divinely guided master who comprehends the divine truth in absolute purity and is able to show it so brilliantly in its divine radiance that all minds and hearts subdued render homage, right? If I'm a Navi, if I'm then, then I'm fine. I'll publish a safer and everyone's going to be so blown away by it that I could do it. I knew and know this to be so, yet despite this knowledge, I began to... So that's why I was very nervous. Because I know that I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm getting involved in something, you know, that it's just... You can't win, right? You can't win, right? But still, he says, I began to write them. And this is what he says. This is just beautiful. Just the, the novel over here is just amazing. It is not fame or personal recognition that I am seeking. Otherwise, surely the critical judgment which I can expect from the multitude will be quite in place. Right? Yeah, if, if, uh, if, uh, if I was looking for, if for fame, then, uh, then all the complaints that are about to come are justified. He knows very little about the world and its time and, and what they want. Right? Oh, what does he know? He doesn't know. He's sitting there living in, his, in the shtetl. What does he know about the us? What does he know about the real world? What does he know about science and art? What does he know? Get at it. What do you think you are? Right? But I do not seek the approval of the masses. What prompts me is solely the inner voice, which though I tested over and over again, Right? He's always, no, I'm not going to sit there and me anaychi, right? Keeps reaffirming me. Your views hold something of truth. Something of that truth which you believe must ultimately emerge victoriously into the light. Right? And it's such, a, it's such an inspiration. We think that, you know, unless we're going to have this organization which is going to, you know, we make a huge asifa and then we're going to sell 20,000 copies and unless we're going to mamish, what's the point? I'm going to sit there and give a little shit to a few people and Mori Shtibol, right? Or I'm going, to, I'm going to start a little chabura, I'm going to do a little this. Eh, what, what am I doing? My, what's my impact? I got Shirley Bornstein and uh, is giving to 30,000 people and my little Debbie she has got five people. I'm sitting there preparing there's just as much as him and look at me. Right? That's, that's it, right? What do you say? You can just play, right? You can just play, right? Exactly. Right? He says, no. He says, I, I, I keep on saying to myself, there's something here. I have something to offer and I need to say it. It is the inner voice which assures me the road on which you set out may be only a bypass. Right? It may be a little side road, right? But it leads in the right direction. And if someone more able than you will follow in your footsteps, the cause of truth can only gain for it. Yes, you're setting a little path. Hopefully it leads to the truth. And hopefully others will follow. And eventually you'll, you'll build a big highway. 
Right? The Mishnah in Avos says that al taimar davar she efshel l'shmayak seifer l'shamer. Right? What's the right? Don't say about something that it won't be heard because eventually it will be heard. Like some people learn, like you know, don't tell anyone your secrets because eventually you'll find out of it. Right? Eifah shemayim. Right? Rav Hirsch says it means that don't say that you know what's the point of me speaking because no one's going to hear it, no one's going to listen. It's not going to make an impact. If you speak with the truth, you speak with sincerity, and you, you're right, then eventually uh, your words will be heard. And even if it's not in your lifetime, your words will be heard. You know, like the Maral, I'm thinking about the Maral. Okay, Maral was obviously very well respected in his lifetime, he was a Rav in Prague, but his Torah laid come out dormant for 100 years. Right? It, was, it wasn't very, very well studied. Gvoras Hashem was maybe, but like it wasn't, he wasn't a very popular, uh, his Torah was not popular through the ages. Right then, the Hasidim came along, and Reb Tzaddik, and all of a sudden, the Maral now was like the hottest thing. Rabbi Yeshua Harman just published uh, well, last year a Shabbos Agadol Russia. Right, he gave a Shabbos again. You know, he said that Nachi Weinstein again interviewed him. He said, you know, if you, if you make the Cheshvan, if this is what his Drasha was, it would have taken the Chalapacha six hours to give, and it was put out six weeks after he gave it. So it was like a massive, you know, the Maral now is the Maral, right? And Noltaira Machshavur Meshapira Hutner, this is all the Maral. But uh, again, it takes time, you know, so you, you plant the seeds. This alone is the call that has spurred me. For surely, my friend, is not one grain of truth worth the sacrifice of my own person even a thousand times over. Now you're speaking the truth. Yes, people are going to attack you. People may disagree with you. Your life may be destroyed. Your reputation will be destroyed. But if you say the truth, such personal considerations have never disturbed me. Right? As long as there's a kernel of truth there, you have an obligation to pursue the truth. However, there are other worries to be weighed. But I not cause harm instead of helping. Or maybe I'm going to make things worse. I had to find almost entirely by myself, through my own insight, the road to the systematic reconstruction of Judaism as a science. I was referring to saying, I, was, I had no swarm to go with. Right? A thousand years, Yiddishkeit was very different. Right? And the Torah that came out of the, the, the Kufa, of the strong Gullus, was a very different, it was very technical, lumdus and learning, and Gemara, and Rashi. But like this idea of, of tying Yiddishkeit and, and, and to the world, to the rest of the world, that, you know, this is very unique, and I had very little to go on. Right? So uh, maybe I'm going to be wrong. And he says a very, very interesting statement here. Only along the shorter, easier, and clearer path of the way did a good friend accompany me. Right? So the shorter, easier, and clearer part of the way, a good friend accompanied me. And only one star shone before me to guide me into the beginning. Now, it's not clear who he's referring to. Right? And Rabbi Elias here discusses, he brings down people in the back, that this one star is probably, um, is probably Chacham Isaac Bernays. Right? This was his Rebbe, the one who was like kind of set the goal for him. It wasn't, you know, he just kind of rushed a prok him, but like that was like the light. And who this friend is, um, not clear. He says the good friend is probably uh, someone that he learned Gemara with. He says, because again, it was the shorter, easier path. In other words, all right, the basic path, the regular raid, you know. Okay, he's giving credit that he had a, a Rebbe or someone that learned with him that like, you know, basically taught him basic, you know, Tyra. And then the one star is probably Chacham Isaac Bernays. Okay, not clear who he's referring to, but he's saying, I don't know what to go with. I'm sitting here and coming up with this, with this unique approach and I'm on my own, right? I had to struggle all by myself to reach the point at which you found me. Thorns and rubble had to be removed at every step on this road. I alone with limited powers had to contend with an entire past and present that I silently continued my efforts, right? As a man, he's writing this in the 20s, in his 20s and, and the, the effort and the thought that he puts into everything. Might it not be then, right, that I entered a thousand tortuous side paths, accepted a thousand errors as a truth? Right? I'm doing this on my own. Right, I'm not. Uh, so maybe I'm wrong. Right, maybe I built a premise and then on that premise, a premise, I'm, I'm complete false. Can this edifice that exists in my mind and as I would like to transmit it to my brethren be free of defects? 
And suppose my attempts fail. Will not those who would gladly do away with the course for which I am living use my abortive efforts to strangle this cause entirely, right? Well, as if I fail, here's this guy who stood up for traditional Yiddishkeit, and he failed. Look at the reform. Eh, these rabbis, you see, they got nothing. The smartest and brightest are a bunch of failures. See here, they would gloat. Some entirely new, new attempts to rehabilitate Judaism, total failures. The only way we can do it is to reform. The only way is to get rid of the Torah completely. There's no way. This is a dead horse. That's it. Stop beating the dead horse. Right? So uh, he's nervous. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Again, this should, you know. And then he says also, he says, my strength does not lie in writing. Right? I'm not a good writer. All my life I've engaged in thinking more than in speaking and in speaking more than in writing. You know, I'm not a writer, right? You know, Arlo Piansky always talks about how you know, he works, he has different projects. There's like a journal called Dialogue, which they put out like once a year. And there's a different like projects. It's very hard to find good writers, you know, in amongst the, the from world. You know, so all the good writing is being done by like left wing, you know, modern, whatever. You know, someone once said that like a chinuch today comes from uh, women balas chuvas. Right, because like you know, they're they're they, you know they went to school. They're good writers, <laughs> so now they're from the, and there are some very good ones. Very very special books written by them. But like, you know, it's a shot that you need to communicate. Okay, maybe nowadays video and audio is, is the more dominant. Maybe writing is not as important, but writing still has an important place in, in transmitting things and uh, and relieving the writing to people that are uh, you know to, to Mishpacha magazine. We're not uh, we're not getting the good stuff. Well, I'll be able to write the truth with all the clarity needed to convince the mind and with all the forcefulness required to capture the hearts. For one thing, if I wanted to reach the children of my time, I must write in the German language and in German script, which is, again, a chiddush for a rabbi. It wasn't very common back then to speak in the vernacular. But I realized that, I mean, yeah, the Ramah Mardavucham was written in Arabic, right? So there were, you know, there were the, 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 the Sephardi Rishon definitely wrote in Arabic. That was very common. But I realized that as surely as Judaism correctly conceived and conveyed, constitutes a bond of love and justice encompassing all creatures. So isolated packages taken out of context, deliberately misinterpreted, not seen as an integral part of the whole structure, have been misused by evil design as pointed arrows of blunt cudgels to oppress and injure helpless, helpless victims. In other words, you know, we pick one Gemara, one Chazal, and then they use it to like, you know, uh, you know, they, they do it all the time, right? The reforms do that, everyone does it. We, you know, we take things out of context, we use it in all different ways. Everyone does it. Now he says, my, right, well, the, will, 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 will the fate of my, will that be the fate of my essays? Might not someone pushed aside and offended by such rude insolence be able to point to me as the cause? I'll be an innocent, and there are other words that disturb me. Oh, he wrote college, he wrote this, he wrote this, ah, modern, oh, you know. He's nervous, right? He's nervous. So, uh, so uh, let's read the next two paragraphs and then we'll admit to Shem, I guess, after Pesach. How then, I hear you asking, have you been able to resolve all these doubts? Since after all, you have decided to undertake this work. So how do you do it? You know, uh, well, you have good tainas. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe they're going to miss you and abuse you. you know, who says? Having scaled the summit by myself and gained new vistas, I would like to summon companions. He's like, look, I'm up there. I did so much research. I think there's truth here. I'm on top of the mountain. I need people here with me. I would like to descend and together with them retrace the road from the beginning. I want to come down to you and bring you up, show you how I got there. I want to give over only what I've been able to gather so far, not as a finished work, but truly as mere essays. That's why they're called essays. We're not here to put down Halach HaMashim Yisinai. I'm here to present an essay. This is my thoughts on the matter. I want to show you my thought process. I want to show you why I, you know, what I think, why I think what I think. In any case, our course surely cannot be harmed in the eyes of sensible men because of some unsuccessful endeavors resulting from the wishful imagining of some of the Hashem. Yes, there are people that may abuse it, but you know something? Sensible people will hopefully read it and be inspired and see the truth of it. Finally, and this is a very famous uh, mashal that he gives, and it's a beautiful piece, I see a child enveloped in flames. Right? There's a child in flames. The bystanders are afraid. They do nothing. Or else they're only trying to save the building. 
Yeah, they're trying to save the whole building. And if you're going to give in and you're going to do this, then the whole Yiddish guy is going to be destroyed, right? It's a good, it's a good time. I see the child. I rush in. Should I first ask my neighbor whether he too sees the child? Right? Do I need other, someone else's approval? Right? Should I worry whether in my haste I'm jostling someone or perhaps hindering the salvage of the building by running in? Oh, if you're going to do that, you know, and you hear this all the time, and by the way, this is a title that a lot of great people have given, right? It's like, if you're going to do this, you know, maybe you're right, but it's going to affect the system, right? You're going to, we have to, we have to, it's like I rush, that we have to, you know, send everyone to yeshiva, we have to hold this right-wing thing, and then, why? Because, uh, you know, it's going to affect the Yiddish kind, it's going to affect the other people, you know, slippery soap. Right, he's like, what am I supposed to do? I see this child, I gotta, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta save him. Perhaps I'm causing a draft, fanning the flames. Oh, maybe you're making things worse because you're running in, right? I have to save the child. That's, that's the only thing I'm looking at. I'm seeing the children, I'm seeing the young children who are going off and I just, I need to save them. And if I think that what I'm doing here could save them, I'm gonna run in. But you may ask if it should be, it should be too late. If the building were collapsed on top of the child in a roaring conflagration before you reached it, right to bury it under it, I would at least have done my duty. You know what I mean? I ran in, I did my best. If I die and the child ends up dying or all of that, I did my best. I ran in and I, and I tried to salvage it. So in other words, you know, you have all the, all the tainas and all the everything and it's self-reflection. You need to keep on asking yourself, are you doing this for yourself? Are you doing it? Uh, are you L'Shem Shemai, right? But you read his words, there's a child who's burning here and I need to do what I can to save him. And yes, I'm not worried about the system. I'm not worried about what other people will say. I'm not worried, maybe I'll make things worse. I have to go in, right? This is like, you know, Ramnei Huamberg, you, know, you know, when he talked about the Kirim. He said, every day there's a train going to Auschwitz. He says, we, we, have, to, we have to stop this, right? And that's Kirim, yes, and it was very unconventional. You know, we, revisionist history, like to make it like Ramnei, well, yeah, it was a regular guy, and he was not. Even with an Eishat Torah, right? there were splits between, right? He took guys off the streets, he made them quasi from, and then he sent them to do Kirim. You know, we, have, we have to get everyone out. He says, we have to, because it was a train to Auschwitz every day. We don't stop... Right? Single-minded, right? And again, and, and, and of Hirsch's dream that the seeds that were planted would ultimately blossom. Uh, I, I imagine of Hirsch, if he were to be alive today, you know, uh, 200 years later, and he would see his swarm, hundreds, you know, thousands in circulation, translated into all different languages and people learning it, I would hope that he would see that, you know what I mean, his efforts were, uh, were, were, were actually worth it. But also, this, this additional point is that of Hirsch, we shouldn't look at of Hirsch as the end game. Right, we shouldn't like some people that have reversed. Like, I know a guy; he's a great guy. He's reversed. Everyone has to learn that. Everyone has to. Reversed is he's offering perspective, and his his works and his ideas have made it into the conversation. And even if the conclusions are different, the yeshiva world is far better off because reversed is there because it's challenging in important ways, asking more questions, which have to be dealt with. And okay, and, and wonderful. And reversed himself, the community itself in Frankfurt, right? They were historical. Was it successful? Was it not? Improvements that had to be made. Add a yeshiva. Yes, yeshiva. No, that, right? Reversed is not here. This is Messina, and this, right? But it's a conversation, and it's a seed that's planted, and, uh, and it will continue to grow. All right, we'll uh, finish up next time, I guess.